0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hilo, hosted by me, Dolly Alderton, and this one over here, Pandora Sykes. (laughs) This is the pop culture and news podcast that chews over the zeitgeist, straddling highbrow and lowbrow culture while wearing a leopard print mini skirt and a librarian's bun. Much talk there of straddling and (laughs) skirts, I feel a bit queasy. Speaking of clothing though, uh, I started dressing in black I love wearing all black outfits. I think something's happened to my sartorial identity. I've never been one to dress in black. No, you always wear colour and print. I know, maybe I need to write about it. Currently, actually, this is a real role reversal because normally it's people emailing me angrily on a Sunday being like, find me a blazer for a wedding now. <laughs> the, le- the legacy of having worked once as a columnist called Wardrobe Mistress. But anyway, this is... so. This find is a re- me a blazer now. There's rarely a please or a thank you, more like this is your duty as, as woman on earth. Um, <laughs> Maybe they think you are actually a wardrobe mistress. Sometimes people email me like, couldn't find you in style and couldn't find your email address anyway, so emailing you on this... And I'm like, you probably couldn't find me because I don't work there anymore. Have anyway, you found as well the number of PRs that I, that I meet at the moment where they go, oh my God, we are addicted to your Sunday Times style column every Sunday. It's the first thing we turn to. And I'm like, it hasn't been in there for two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I get stuff saying, <laughs> how about this for the Sunday Times? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you should email someone there. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I am actually looking for, and this is a real cry for help. I'm looking for some black platform trainers with a black sole not supergas. i'm very sorry superga i love you i'm wearing a pair right now they're too heavy for you can't do your flat can't can't do a platform they're too heavy um i've tried all of the swishy ones like common projects and 80s but they all have a tan rubber sole can i suggest something yes kickers did you hear that silence? That's <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's my That was my dream shoe in 2003. And it was an all-black sole, built up. Or a buffalo. Or is a buffalo too high? Buffalo's too high because I want to... I'm walking a lot now, so I want to... A trainer that's not really a trainer. That's right. more sort of a, a gym shoe with a I, with a I, I try Kickers. Kickers, yeah. as in like an actual kicker or a trainer. Kickers was a kind of 90s brand that, that was no, like no. the cool school shoe to wear. I know I had loads of kickers but do you mean yeah. like kickers rather than a trainer? But kickers are trainers. But they just no, have kickers a kickers are like kickers are like sort of docside loafer hybrids. Oh okay. May- maybe I think I'm in out of my depth here Pandora. I mean I'm 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 I <laughs> You say trainer. <laughs> I say kickers but obviously we need more I niche. love I love that you're trying to get me back into kickers it's like <laughs> literally like you've just told me to go back to wearing like a Chinese print skirt over patchwork jeans which is what which I would with absolutely Disco H11 which is something you would wear Pandora except not now because here I am all in black anyway before we go any further can I implore you please to follow at the Hilo show on Twitter and also to please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes we love all the reviews we've had some very nice ones well some some of you will notice that we don't always get the episode out on a Wednesday, so subscribing means it will slide into your telephone as soon as it's live and no need to come back and check. What a treat. <laughs> <laughs> also, please do drop us an email thehiloshow at gmail.com We absolutely love them. And by we, I mean me, because I'm manning the email account. She does email. I'm so crap at replying to all of them. I'm so sorry. One of these days, I'm going to just clear a weekend and reply to every single one of them. Do you reply to any of them? uh, Very occasionally, but we do get quite a lot. I will reply to all of them at some point, but we do read all of them and I forward them to Pandora as well. And they never fail to make us smile and they really do encourage us and boost us, so... Yes, thank you. And And thank you for your interesting questions as well. Dolly does email and I mainly do... Twitter, which is less onerous. I've slightly um, lucked out on that division of labour. Speaking of subscribing on iTunes, I've been reading all of our iTunes reviews, having never ventured They're on... very nice, our well, iTunes I ple- reviews. I was pleasantly surprised by the lack of trolls, although I did note one who said how fucking annoying I am because I always speak over Dolly. <laughs> um, and it's born of being the youngest of four and squealing to be heard over older, louder voices. <laughs> Uh, so from now on, I'm going to try and stop interrupting Dolly. Um, perhaps we could have some sort of alarm. Producer Charlie, do you have any suggestions? How about... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if that, I was, do it. Um, that was the first cameo of our producer, Charlie Jones. But what counts as an interruption? Because sometimes I just call it a segue. The problem is, is that I do have a tendency to ramble, as you know full well. So sometimes I think it might sound like you're interrupting, but actually you just know that I'm I mean, going to waffle on and you're trying to keep it on track. I think of myself as the sheepdog, and yes, all of your it's like You're words the conversational the sheepdog, sheepdog. <laughs> but now I'm terrified. Have you know? I'm, I'm like really <laughs> sort of try, trying to wait till the are right. Anyway, glad we got that one sorted. I think we're both quite bad at talking over each other. Look, That's because we're pals. Yours hasn't been immortalised on iTunes. <laughs> I know, I know. I have, I'm yet to be uh, slagged off on the iTunes reviews, but that's not that's not an invitation, listeners. Dolly, what have you been up to this week? So I am right in the thick of writing my book, which I'm not going to talk about at all because it's very boring for anyone who's not writing it. Um, <laughs> that's everyone. I have had to do something very embarrassing and immature. I have had to hand over all my social media accounts to my very patient flatmate India Masters I feel like I'm tweeting India now when I tweet about you or to you is she picking them up though is she doing her job no no she's not managing she's not managing the accounts she did say to me she was like I don't want to feel like I'm your PR woman and I was like no 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 basically when I first wrote the proposal for my original book I thought you were about to say to India for this job When I first reviewed her job application, um, no, when I first peckish. wrote my uh, proposal, you're peckish. Oh, thank you very much to the detox kitchen. Yes. Oh my God, that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't even. That a, wasn't an advert that wasn't a, I well just in. looked into my bag and saw the, saw the granola that you kindly gave to us. It was um, absolutely delightful coming into the studio and being given a, a box of goodies. Did you try the cacao ball? No, I haven't eaten that yet. I, I would munch that back. now because you could munch it in 10 seconds flat I while I'm waffling on. Isn't it, Bart? Shall I go get it? Oh, no, no. I gave it to our producer, Charlie's wife and it's going to her no, oh, okay. don't give it back Charlie I don't want to see you come into a little <laughs> booth Anyway, do carry on about... Okay, so you've handled um, your social media. What else have you been yes, so that? Yes, so the reason I've done it is when I wrote my proposal originally a few years ago, I managed to write 50,000... I took a month off my job at the time. I wrote 50,000 words in four weeks. And the only way that I did it is India just changed all my passwords. So I just said to her, look, mate, you're going to have to do it again. But then I said, I will have a couple of articles and podcast episodes that I don't want to not plug. So I am going to have to get you to post like once a week. And she was like, that's fine. So in the next... Next month, if you see any posts from me, it's actually Indie Masters. So I've been doing that. Um, or not doing that. Or not doing that. Um <laughs> Me and Indy watched The Theory of Everything. Have you seen that film? No. But I did enjoy your um Instagram story yes. that was like... You were like, so is there a theory? I don't know, doll. I'm not sure <laughs> if there's a theory. But <laughs> it's so confusing. We literally were reeling afterwards because the elephant in the room of The Theory of Everything is I don't think anyone on that production actually knows what the theory is it's a common issue on many tv shows but what it but then the hard thing is is we were like did he come up with a theory of everything and then we couldn't find out if he did because when you google Stephen Hawking theory of everything the fucking film comes up so we couldn't actually get to the bottom of what the theory of everything actually is anyway so that's that I rewatched the Sex in the City pilot I'm so sorry I'm gonna to have to eat some of the mal-wams. can you pass can you pass the, the small pinballs over is it going to be a white-knuckle ride? Can you of see how I'm holding my? <laughs> Um Wise Buddha, very kindly, why don't you, I'll go get you your mauwams. Tell the listeners about mauwams. Wise Buddha, the studio that we are recording in today, very kindly gave us some mawam products, for want of a better word, because they've noticed that we... Stripes or pinballs? Pinballs. They've noticed that we've been eating them during the podcast. That was very polite and They could have just said they'd noticed that I was masticating loudly whilst Dolly was trying to talk. Anyway, I was like, Dolly, I'm trying not to eat sugar, so you better give them to your flatmate. And I've been sitting here clenching the, jet, the desk because I know that sugar is near so I'm just have a few I'll just have a and then the you can take them is away you again you have too many I think and that's when you feel a dip oh are they sours quite mm, sour. a very funny mm. little face um, re the Sex and the City pilot have mm. you watched it Mmm. couple of weird things I'd like to point out first of all when Samantha Jones what were you doing re-watching that because um, you weren't on Twitter or Instagram no I promise you it was research I'm trying to write a script at the moment that has a female character talking to the camera. So I've gone back to watch series one because that's what Carrie Bradshaw did in series one of Sex and the City. I Sissy. don't remember that. Yeah, she talks to camera. It's interesting. Very strange. It's very strange. It's very divisive, that narrative. Mm, it, it didn't work very well, but it works very well in shows like Fleabag. But anyway, so the interesting thing is, Samantha Jones says when Mr Big's character, they see him at a party, she says... Have you heard of that guy? He's this new sexy tycoon. He only dates models. He's uh, the new Donald Trump. Isn't oh, my hilarious. God. And apparently it's because... Big for president. It's because JFK Jr. had just died, but he was the original reference in the script, but then they had to change it last minute. But how hilarious. That's the future. Mr. Big is How described. old is that script of JFK just died? No, Jr., yeah, no, Kennedy, I kn- no, I knew it wasn't the one that died in, like, like- <laughs> the 60s or whatever. Well, it's 96, 95, 96. Shit, it's really old. But it's so funny that that was the future president. Mr that Big, is, is described. It. That is really mad. But I know what you have been doing. Oh, yeah. Whilst procrastinating. So, basically... You're going to have to play it. Basically, I, I have, Insist. Since I've stopped going on social media, because I've got such a twitch to procrastinate when I'm working... Instead of now checking Twitter, I just pick up my shit guitar and start playing terrible covers, learning covers of songs that I send as voice notes to Pandora all the live long day. Go on, play it. Show me how you do that trick The one that makes me scream She said the one that makes me laugh She said and threw her arms around my neck Show me how you do it, and I promise you, I promise that I'll run away with you, I'll run away with you. It's really good. Um, I think I sound a bit like a teenage boy who's trying to shag you. Oh, but in in return, um I I found a musical instrument from my youth at home and oh I'm going to play you a small tune. But you have to shut your eyes, I don't want you to see me get it out of I'm my bag. so excited. I really hope it's a kazoo. I really hope it's a kazoo. Hold on, Just ferreting in my bag, it. <sighs> don't know. Not looking. Oh god, no I bears. hope it's not a recorder, is it? Many of you will recognise that as Mary had a little lamb. If you've just, if and you've just tuned in, I'm playing it on a piccolo. <laughs> if you've just tuned in. This is Radio One's Live Lounge. I'd like you to know that, that was this is Pandora's. one of six different sizes of recorders I had as a child, and my mum made me a quilted fabric recorder case to keep all the six <laughs> sizes. in. This is the only one that that stood the test of time. That's an extraordinary instrument. I have to say, Pandora. It is a seminal. You know, people really love that song and I didn't think you'd be able to put your own mark on it. What, but you, Mary you had a little your cover of it was very, <laughs> was beautiful. So that was my um, surprise. Anyway, my musical session is now over. Let's turn to Big Little Lies because there was the finale on Tuesday night and I know you've been terribly rude about Big Little Lies, but a lot of people were very into it. Did you watch the finale? You didn't, did you? Because no, I watched the first two episodes. How did you find them? I spent ages trying to find them for you. How did you find them in the end? Because so Dolly doesn't have Sky Atlantic, so it was like I was sort of trying to find all these nifty ways. I was Ugh. like, use my Sky on the Go password, and Dolly was like, it doesn't work. It does work. Um, how your, did you find you're them? gonna bloody love this story because of the way I berated you, and you got your free Amazon Prime thing. Now TV got in touch because they listened to the podcast and they heard me. <laughs> That's amazing. Complaining about how I couldn't. The problem was is I have. I've just changed. I've just bought a new laptop, and my old laptop couldn't play now TV. So now I've got a new laptop. Okay, so you watched the first two episodes, and did you you really didn't think it was any good. No, I didn't. And it's, no, it's not. I didn't think it was any good. I think maybe perhaps it was because it's been so overhyped to me. What because think it's so, been hyped, not overhyped. But every single one of my friends has been like, "It's the best drama I've ever ever watched." Well, I'm going to tell you why I think it's the best drama. Not that I've necessarily gonna, ever watched. I'm going to plough through a few more episodes. I think that, okay, so for several reasons, because I know a lot of our listeners have been watching Big Little Lies, but the reason why I thought it was so wonderful is, um, it's so it's a book set in Australia. It's definitely kind of chick lit. I read it a while ago, actually, and then I bought it after having watched most of the series and realised I had already read it, which is something I do all the time. So I think I gave it to one of my sisters. But it was set in Australia, this book. Reese Witherspoon then bought the rights and... um she's kind of given a few interviews where she said what she wanted to do is to... Reese Witherspoon bought the rights. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon's behind it. And she said what she wanted to do is she was used to being, essentially, and she didn't say it like this before, you're like, oh, before anyone's like, God, that sounds very really arrogant. But essentially she was like, I'm used to being attached to films mm. so people can get funding to get it made. Mm-hmm. And what it means is that I rarely end up with the women who I admire in film mm-hmm. because they're being attached to something in order to get it made. So It's really smart. That's what George Clooney does. He calls it actor power. I think it's really smart. Well, she she said she wants to bring together all the women that she really admires. So it's got, you know, it's a really star studded cast. You've got Reese Witherspoon, you've got Shailene Woodley, you've got Laura Linney. Not Laura Linney, here she Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Is that Dern. the one that looks like Chew Lisa? No, that's Shailene Woodley. That's right. hilarious when you tweeted that. I was like, all right, mum. Who looks a bit like Chalisa. But so she brought all these women together. But truly, I think the astounding storylines, as I'm sure most people would say, is the marriage of Alexander Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman. And Alexander Skarsgård plays a sort of toy boy husband. I reckon he must be about 10 years younger than Nicole Kidman. Uh, so we're sort of meant to think that he's late 30s, she's late 40s. And they're obviously this, like, gorgeous couple and you know Nicole Kidman is this kind of amazingly serene chic presence and you'd have no idea what's going on behind the scenes and what's going on behind the scenes is a terribly graphically told story of domestic abuse which is um, made I think more complicated and some would argue more interesting by the sexual elements so essentially every single argument that is physical ends in sex and Mm. sometimes it is created as a vehicle for them to have passionate sex Mm. and it just really raises very interesting questions I think about victims of domestic abuse some people have said that it should come with trigger warnings but I think that they actually did it very cleverly and I think there's a lot of talk at the moment around trigger warnings and where they should be but I almost think the lack of trigger warnings in this is what makes it so powerful because you see this dream couple and then your are son... it was very unexpected uh, yeah in the first I mean I'd scene. read the book and I yeah. forgot that it happened um but I think it's really interesting because Celeste is not a passive victim she's definitely still a victim but She is sexually aroused by it, as she says to her therapist. She is violent back. That is not to say that she ever chose this for her marriage. And obviously she, as you see in the finale, a lot more happens. But she plans to leave him because she says, you know, she understands she can't keep perpetuating the cycle, which is getting more and more serious. But I think it presents a very different victim of, of domestic abuse to what you are normally used to seeing and it shows just how dangerous it is because you can look outwardly perfect and be beautiful and be throwing the punches yourself and be enjoying the sex yourself but that doesn't mean you're not a victim. Anyway, I'm sure loads of people have written some very interesting things on it. I actually I'm going to keep watching it because that is an element, that sort of Stockholm syndrome in that abusive dynamic was something that I found very disturbing but very interesting um and as you said it, it tells another important story so i will carry on watching it um,
1: and i also i'm just
0: in love with Reese Witherspoon i forgot how much i adore her she's really she's really great in it she's I mean she's she's just doing quite interesting stuff full stop she's doing a lot of kind of the production side I think in Hollywood now and doing a lot of you know empowering women um, I've also been watching I know other people have been watching this uh, Line of Duty with Tandy Newton I fucking love Tandy Newton she is a goddess but my god that programme is confusing and depressing please anyone who's been watching Line of Duty my whole family is really thrown by the, this plot so just you know send me a tweet let me know that you're with me on this is that the corset one no <laughs> no that was the weirdest look it's you've not ever the given corset me. one it's set in present day in a police station also another one that's just come out on netflix there's been a lot of hype about this is girl boss now so- that is tulisia she's <laughs> fucking christ that is Tulisa. <laughs> what you think that the actress looks like Tulisa. no but she had a perfume called girl boss Yes. Yes, okay. It's also the name of this new Netflix I series based on the... I I'm just Zeitgeist Bingo with you. <laughs> <laughs> My God, that's a bizarre game, Zeitgeist Bingo. More Sorry, on that another on. day. So Girlboss is about the career and life of Sophia Amoruso, who is the creator of massive, massive fast fashion brand called Nasty Gal in the oh, US. interesting. And she wrote a best-selling book. Girlboss is her... It's her term, I think. I'm pretty sure it was her. That's where everyone first heard it. I bet you it'll go into the dictionary now as well. Um, So this is the Netflix series about her, you know, being 23 in San Francisco, kind of doing a load of semi-legal jobs to get there. But I have to say, I was really disappointed. I quit halfway through episode one. Yeah, I was like, oh God, I can't. It's too too snappy and vibey and... Sassy. Like, yeah, it's too sassy. Mm. It's too sassy. I can't, I can't that, do not And the thing is, is that you have a very high sass threshold, I think. Yeah, I love the sass. I love so the sass. it SAS. must be very overly saturated in sass. Try it. Sat sass. It's, it's, it's reached sat sass. <laughs> um, Dolly, what have you been reading this week? Um, I've been reading The Information by Martin Amis. Oh, heavens above. What's that? It is. I'm only 20 pages in, but it's. I love Martin Amis. And it's... I think he's quite sexy. He's very sexy. There you go, bringing the low to the high right there. He's, um, <laughs> it's about two writers, uh, one of whom is very, very successful, one of whom is less successful, and they're very good friends and arch enemies. And it's sort of exploring... The oh, com- it's me and you. He wrote a book about yeah, us. Exactly. exactly. Um, it's sort of... Um, Exploring the very unique and nuanced competition that writers experience with each other, so it's is right, it a new book. I haven't no, heard of no, it. No, it's not that well known. My friend Ed recommended it to me, and the reason Ed recommended it is there's a passage in it that he photographed and sent to me and said, "This reminds me of you," where the famous writer is getting really strange letters from people that read his work, <laughs> and he obviously knows these kind of odd emails I used to get when I did my dating column. Have those stopped now you don't do your yes, dating Yes, completely stopped. I read um, a book called Sweet Bitter, which I think came out last year... And had a lot, a ton, literally a ton of amazing reviews about it. I was looking, I was she's about my age, so it's that awful thing when you read something by someone your age and you're like (laughs) and was reading all these reviews and you know, she was getting positive reviews from like the New York Times and the Boston Review and like just the and the Atlantic and all these amazing resources. And you know what? It started off really interestingly, it's about this. It's a novel, but it is loosely based on some periods of this girl's life, Stephanie Dandler. This girl moves to New York to become a waitress. You know, she's got no family, friends. It's a proper kind of buildings roman in the traditional sense in that ingenue arrives, no money, no plans, no Mm -hmm. friends finds a new life anyway she starts working in this very famous old restaurant in New York and it's about how she becomes completely immersed in food and wine and subsequently drugs and there's a lot of sex in it and um it just really lost it for me the plot became really really thin and I it just started to really annoy me and I had that thing where I was really riveted by how all these people had Felt these things about it that I did feel at the beginning, but at the Mm. end, there were so many gaping. Plot holes. But not just plot holes, but more like lyrical holes. So, for example, at the beginning it says, I arrived, like most people in New York, by car. And it's like, well, first off, most people don't arrive in New York by car. It's a nightmare to drive into New York. If you're going to write that, surely most people would arrive by Greyhound if they had no money. Like, what did she do with her car when she got to New York? I know that sounds really stupid, but it, it felt like she was trying to write this very kind of poetic city story and I don't know it just didn't quite work for me so I so right. I'd be really interested by anyone who did read sweet bitter I'm interested as well about whether how do you feel about abandoning books halfway through did you abandon- really against it no really? i may i feel Oh, if I've paid for them as well, yeah. I am really insane in that I spend so much money on um, books and magazines. There are three things that I will always let myself spend money on, even if I'm broke. And you might think I'm insane. Like I'd rather just eat toast for three meals in a row if I was broke. And I will buy books new from bookshops, eight ninety nine. I'll do it. I do buy from Amazon, That's but I still to buy books. Writers as well. Magazines, spend a fortune on magazines and vintage clothing because I like to think I'm taking it out of the cycle and giving them a new lease of life. I mean, you know, I had the. The best haul this weekend. I bought this t-shirt for 8 pounds from Portobello. It's got Thank Hulk you. Hogan on it. <laughs> I bought a Fair Isle cardigan that my mother is in love with for 10 pounds, and nice. I bought some amazing vintage cocktail earrings that Netta Porter would be flogging for 300 quid. I love for 12 quid. So, for Great. 30 quid, I bought three really awesome pieces of clothing. Anyway, we I should digress. vintage shopping. I love vintage shopping. I'm amazing at it. I'm so Oh, good. I, I need you to dig me some stuff Yeah, out. I got a really cool email, actually. I better not say because the exhibition's not out next year and I don't know if they've announced it, but it's a massive exhibition on vintage and they want to display one of my outfits as an example of how oh, wow. you can wear, you know, vintage clothing in um, modern day. But the only That's struggle so cool. is if I want to part with some of my clothing for... How long Nine would it months. Be? I don't know. Quite a long time. Um, also, I'd like to take you to the Oxfam bookshop in Highgate Village because it's it's the best second-hand bookshop in London. You know, I don't think have ever been to Highgate. Well, I'll invite you. I finally. Thank um, you very much. And also, last time I was in there, Jude Law was in there asking about a first edition book, and I was like, I bet you're doing that just to make me weak, need. And you know what, Jude is working. <laughs> anyway so uh, but I'd love to do that um so I read Sweet Bitter and now I'm reading two books at the same time I'm reading Clover Stroud's book which you gave me The Wild Other um and I was thrilled actually to Clover if you're listening to find out that my mum's best friend is Clover's aunt so I was reading her name and I suddenly rang my mum and I was like oh my god she was like yeah it's nice when you um when you do a little link like that and I am also reading Kat Marnell's book have you read about this no there's a lot about it about Three months ago, so she was a beauty editor at Lucky Magazine in the States, which is a bit glossy, and she was um, a drug addict. Basically, oh, I have heard about this. Parent. Yeah, it's Will Payne did a great interview with her for the Times. I think she's still a drug addict, and like, um I think it was EXO Jane or Jezebel that hired her as like a columnist for two years. But she was like finding it really hard to file my copy because obviously I'm up all night on drugs. The whole thing was quite weird. I didn't know how on earth. The poor woman was ever going to rebuild her life when essentially mm. she was being given vast amounts of money to stay fucked up and write about it as some also, sort of like. Yeah, irresponsible. Millennial. Yeah. B- Sorry, not cautionary retail. Not irresponsible of her, irresponsible of those her publications. No, it's quite weird. Anyway, so that's really interesting. Um, but it's actually quite nice because Clover's book is this very, you know, really moving, but this kind of quite gentle, beautiful tale beautiful, of life. beautiful, isn't it? Of life. And, and then the way Cats, she describes wildlife as well. And then well. Cats is like this insane smorgasbord of like drugs and. Food. Faked tan and downers and uppers and this and that so they're balancing yeah. each other out I like quite that well you read two books at once i've never been able to two-time a book i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me also read a Guardian interview with an author called Jessa Crispin who has a new book out destined to make all sorts of headlines called Why I Am Not a Feminist. Which is an entirely misleading title. Well, the title really fucks me off, as you know, because I feel like all I'm trying to do, and it's not just me, obviously, is make people go, yeah, I'm a feminist, and show that, yeah, they're a feminist, and then you've Mm -hmm. got someone writing an effing book called Why Am I Not a Feminist. Awesome, really helpful. But also it's just a provocative, for someone who says she's so anti-consumerism, and the fact that she Buy my hates, book, buy my book. That, yeah, like she's basically just swallowed a load of readers with a completely fake doctrine. She is a feminist. And an extract of the interview that I think sums it up. The journalist says, What she disdains then is what she deems lifestyle feminism, a bland, ultra-inclusive marketing exercise that demands absolutely nothing from those who buy into it. Safer to ask that they use the word feminist as frequently as possible, preferably while looking utterly adorable. Dior has this $600 T-shirt that says on it, we should all be feminists, she tells me, where she talks to me on Skype from New York. But what does that say about the person wearing it other than I can afford a $600 T-shirt? Feminism has been entirely co-opted by consumerism. And it's a shame because I think she has got... like We've spoken on the podcast before about the problems with clicktivism. And I think somewhere buried in a lot of what she's trying to say that there are some really good points, but she ends up just loading the blame onto completely the wrong things, being incredibly negative and ultimately concluding that any form of feminism or activism is sort of futile. So I'm totally with her on the point about that Dior t-shirt and feminism as pop culture. You know, I've written a lot about it. We've talked a lot about it. Um, I call it, this is patented by me, femsumerism. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Where feminism becomes, you know, consumerism. And it it is a large part of pop feminism right now. And I recently interviewed Chloe Sevigny and she was saying that she like really didn't get pussy hats and feminist clothing and she was like feminism is not a handbag and I really really agree with her. Um, I do think that you know there's that whole thing about platforming and you don't have to wear the t shirt. It can be crass. It can be vulgar. Who cares if it gets us talking? But, you know, I think the dismissal of an entire movement because you find something like a bit cringe or a bit too basic is just pushing us back. I mm. also have to say, I really hate, and I think this absolutely just contributes to fake news in a post truth world when these radical titles are pulled out and then not endorsed in the copy you know I think that book sounds like it should have been an essay and it shouldn't mm. it should have been called something completely different I recently said on the podcast that I had started reading I haven't got much further but I'm absolutely planning to read it and then I'll give it to Dolly but Rennie Edo Lodge's book Why I'm Not Talking to White People About Race Anymore um Now, from what I've read so far, she is absolutely unapologetically and with a lot of information sticking to the title of her book. Mm. Great. Mm. But if you're going to have this really radical, controversial, polarising, divisive, whatever other adjectives you can use there, you you can't start writing it and then sort of mean something entirely different which loads of other people But also the the irony that what she is slamming is consumerism I'm sorry to go back to this point but like she's literally just written that as her title to sell more books yeah is her book price 199 so it's like it's a completely inauthentic thing i also really really hate this idea of uh which i think is really destructive to feminism i think it makes a lot of people give up is the implication of that title that you're you know you're all doing a shit job basically um And she doesn't even have any answers for how we should be her quote-unquote ideal feminist. There's literally this sort of one time where she's asked by a slightly baffled Rachel Cook, the journalist who interviews her, about what we should do in order to become crisp and approved feminists. And she says, divorce your husband and leave your bank. I literally read that and I was like, S- sorry, what? She goes, a good start would be to remove your money from the big banks and put it in small local credit unions. I'm like, are you for fucking real? Is this really what feminism needs right now? Over everything. Forget tampon tax and the fact that there's people, in teenagers in this country that can't afford fucking sanitary protection. Forget childcare, forget maternity leave, forget representation in parliament. Divorce your husband oh, yeah. and leave your bank. Insane. But also, I just don't understand how she can say that and enforce a sort of tier system of what makes a good feminist. But also, it's choice. Exactly. It's but, but how But I don't understand how it can't all be piling in to the same... Mm well it's all going into the same cause and actually you know we we're in a current wave of feminism that is quite literally a wave that's rippling through all age groups that's very conscious about being inclusive and intersectional that's something that's discussed a lot and we've got much further to go on that front but I feel like that's becoming more of a collaborative uh, force and I think Catlin Moran is someone who's done so much good work for feminism and that's someone who's mm. very well informed on various doctrines and academia in the past feminism has been seen as academic or that you know even now scary it's to inaccessible a women, inaccessible that it means you're a man hater um that uh a woman isn't clever enough for it you know famously a lot of the suffragettes were quite posh um, and that was simply because they had the time to be able to go and and, educate themselves and but also they they had the time that they could go and be um, activists so they could go and march or you know what because they had people at home helping yes exactly so that's historically why and something that catelyn's done really well is trying to kind of break down those barriers and make it something that has a language that people understand and people feel like they have a hand in making a change in every part of their life so it doesn't have to just be reading all the books by andrew dawkin it can be dropping off some tampons at a homeless shelter you know it can be like wearing a t-shirt there are a million things you can do I remember actually on her Desert Island disc the thing that I really loved when Catelyn I think it was there that she talked about a lot of people ask her why she writes for The Times, not The Guardian. I was love that, that on Desert Island yeah, yeah, disc? yeah. And she's like, because you know, like obviously everyone at The Guardian is thinking what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of write to those posh old white guys and, mm-hmm. you know, hope, hope that I could sort of tell them something new. I'm massively paraphrasing there, by the no, way. No, no, no. you it, know, she's, she's it, yeah. basically like, I don't want to give myself an easy life and how would I really be helping sort of thing. And I'm trying to spread the word and that's where it needs to be spread I like Yeah, and I actually really like that idea of um, not necessarily writing for a newspaper that you are politically aligned with. I think there's a lot of um, talk at the moment about confronting political and societal beliefs that aren't in line with your own so that you are properly informed but just a, it's probably quite a daft note but I'm sure I'm not the only one that's a bit baffled about this um where do you go to drop off a box of tampons do you just go to your nearest woman's shelter because I was trying to contribute to the homeless period and I tweeted them being like is there a women's shelter in Notting Hill that you could recommend that I drop them off at and they didn't reply but I don't know if it's just a bit weird just to turn up at any shelter and sort of thrust tampons at the receptionist or the you know whoever's on the door it, how I've, do you think it? what's the protocol well because, we should probably check with the homeless period because they were in touch with us actually because they said they were really pleased that we'd just okay because so I think I that. tweeted them and I didn't hear back but I know that there'll be other people who but, want to do that but you know if I'm a bit nervous about just walking past Oxfam and going sanitary pads then but you, know. you can you definitely can do it at women's shelters you can just drop them off but also what I do is I'll often give a box to a woman who's on a, the street yeah okay yeah um, and obviously I won't just hand over a box. I'll hand over a plastic bag with a load of stuff in, and I will put that in anyway. Nice. The point is is that there are varying degrees of activism that all help a cause, as I said, dropping off box tampons. There's calling out sexism in the workplace. um, there's campaigning against FGM, and you know, maybe this is controversial. Maybe it does do a bit of good wearing a bloody Dior t shirt. Maybe it does. I mean, I just think, I mean, each I think to your you should own. be doing much more as well. I mean, I'm really sorry though. I'm not going to go and divorce my husband because I chose to become quote unquote someone's property. I think, like anything, things evolve. So, yes, and I actually wrote a piece recently for Vogue Australia about how I hadn't changed my surname. It's hilarious. My mum is still adamant that I have. And or will. It's like like (laughs) ridiculous. Are you not not going to change it? No, 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 I haven't changed it. Um, But I wrote this piece and I spoke to this kind of gender studies academic based in the US. She's on like the women's committee over there, women and children's committee. I've got the names wrong, but something like that over there. And she was saying, you know, I think we shouldn't get hung up on words and institutions she was like i know that some women you know see kind of engagement rings and a white dress and all those things is quite retrograde but she was like if you just look at how much we've achieved don't worry about the kind of the nominal things i know that i'm not my husband's property but I wanted to take part in that ceremony and I'm sorry, I don't think that makes me a bad feminist because I made that choice. No. But I went and, but to, also you can pick and choose what sits comfortably in your politics yeah. that make the, the, a the quality. Yeah. Exactly. But I went to a really interesting series of talks last night called Five by Fifteen, where five different people give um fifteen minute talks and Jenny Murray did one. She was really interesting. She's written a book about Britain told through 21 women and one of them is Thatcher and she's got this amazing quote from the French president in 1985 who said she had I did tweet some of this on the high-low. she had um, eyes like Caligula and a mouth like Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and then there was she, she also talked about um, Fanny Burney who was this activist in the 19th century, and in 1812, she had one of the first ever mastectomies in Paris without anaesthetic. Oh, my God. Yeah, and there was all this stuff, and she was telling her own stories. So it was Rosie Boycott, who's a journalist and feminist, who was interviewing her, and Rosie kind of jogged her memory over. In 1972, Jenny applied for a mortgage as a working woman and was told her husband or her father would would have to sign it off. All sorts of, So when she tells stories like that, I think do you know what, let's just remember what great stuff we've done instead of going, well, I'm not a feminist. But also, as you <laughs> said about the nomenclature, is that the way I'm saying Nomenclature, nomenclature? I think so. Is that something that Emma Jane Unsworth, um, have you read Emma Jane Unsworth's books? She's a brilliant author. No. Something that she always says is that we've got to be careful not to let ourselves get whipped up in Watch the dicky Bird feminism, which is like throwing a chew toy at a dog so we all start fighting over these kind of things that, really don't matter that much in terms of it kind of distracts us from all the other stuff we should be really getting angry about and fighting for yeah basically. absolutely on to lighter news a rhino joins <laughs> tinder kind of in a new campaign which was launched on tuesday tinder partnered with old pajita conservancy in central kenya to introduce a users to Sudan, who is the last known male northern white rhino in existence. Basically, the platform hopes to save Sudan's species from extinction. 42-year-old Sudan is one of the most protected animals on the planet. He has armed guards at all times. Um, This is really sweet. Is it quite nuts? Is Tinder the right... What do you think? Is Tinder the right forum for um, Sudan? I'm really happy about this. I think it's a really worthy cause, something that we should all really care about. And Tinder has over 50 million users. But they're looking for sexy time, not Sudan. um, They're trying to raise money so that he can have an in vitro... Oh, so it is quite sexy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really, really good idea. And also, the minute you see this beautiful creature, I think it's good to have it as such a visual thing. I think it's brilliant. Do you want to say a shout out to your yes, um, Kenyan listener as well? On the subject of Kenya, <laughs> our most loyal listener is uh, my friend Mills, India's... Uh, sister, my flatmate sister Mills who lives in Kenya and she listens and listens to Pandoli as well every single week and she loves it and she's about to have a baby so she's listening she kind of anticipates the the podcast every week so i want to say thank you mills and good luck with your baby do you think she's still our only listener in kenya i'm i want updated stats from our producer charlie Mm. should we get some because didn't we have like one listener in botswana yes i made that up (laughs) yes one in botswana so it's also my favorite time of year no not spring not like oh hashtag pink blooms um but it's that time of year when the annual girls and boys top 10 baby names are released and this year's is fantastic to be fair i'm sort of lying because i don't know what the official governing body for this is this was a survey done by emma's diary a website well i don't know if it's like official because i don't think it's official because it's done by emma's diary which is a website for young mums and mums to be but it's got a really interesting skew which is what i think makes it so entertaining it's that they're all spring themed because apparently everyone's going nuts for spring themed names so here are the top spring baby names Spring baby girl names: Willow, Daisy, Violet, Fleur, Tallulah, Rose, Primrose, Fern, Blossom, Flora, Apple, and Cherry in joint tenth place. Spring baby boy names: Owen. How is that spring? Maxwell, Neo, Denver, Brook, Sky, Kelby, and <laughs> Kelby and Welby. What the f is a Welby? Verdi. Vassant and well done. Wasn't wasn't a <laughs> well, a well done? Wasn't Welby the official mascot of the two thousand twelve Olympics? I think we can that... both agree that spring names work better for girls than boys. <laughs> also, what is a Weldon? I think it's Weldon. Is it not well it's done? Not well done. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> Do you still have ridiculous baby names on your list? I Pandoli, do. Pandolly listeners will remember one of my favourite ever episodes is when Dolly revealed her not so baby names. Two of them have been bumped because I got Which so two? much abuse. Bohemia and disco. <laughs> I have very, very soppily, I have a draft saved on my phone in my email of um, in my inbox of all my baby names i've done since um, I was little to be fair yeah i love updating them but i'm not telling anyone anymore no I no think, you mustn't i know people are in fact I, I think i i think someone has stolen it you mustn't but you know i don't have a baby so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> well the silliest name apologies to my cousin that i've ever heard is my uncle's name who um is called william williams win oh i think that's quite nice i think it's a bit like when you hear people called james james William Williams Wynn. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Rolls off the tongue. What's the silliest name you've ever heard? Well, Fa- I don't know. It's Farley. Farley. <laughs> I, I don't know this man, but Farley to this day uh, claims that she knows a Russian boy called Ivor Chestikov. Oh no, that's just a, oh, come on. I don't believe it. And she's yet to produce any evidence, but no. she's she is adamant she knows him. That's an old, that's an old joke. Ivor, if you're listening, <laughs> tweet in. So Dolly's favourite story this week actually it's one of Dolly's two favourite stories this week is uh, Tom Hardy being well exactly how you would imagine Tom Hardy to be. This a great story. The BBC reports Tom Hardy arrests fleeing motorbike thief in London. The Hollywood star stepped in after two teenagers on a bike crashed into a car in Richmond on Sunday afternoon. They ran off before one was grabbed by the Mad Max and Taboo star and the other was arrested by a police officer. Two 16 year olds have been arrested on suspicion of theft of a motor vehicle. It was a motorbike. Um Witness said Tom must have been walking down the road. He went off like a shot in pursuit and looked furious. I asked Tom what happened and he told me he chased him through my back garden and caught him round the block, but the route was like an assault course. Be still my beating fucking heart. <laughs> Do you, you fancy him? No, well I'd have thought this was classic Tom Hardy like fair, all burly and moral and sort of brawn over Sweet. Um if I hadn't read a couple of interviews with him where in every single one he gets really sensitive and prissy oh, yeah. and storms out, he yeah. literally storms he out of Katie one Glass. interview yeah. because he's teased about his mockney accent because he's actually quite a posh boy and he puts on like a northern accent and he's questioned about it and he's like, well, well, my, my wife's from up north. Um, still- and, and he veers into sort of Jamaican patois sometimes <laughs> if you if you watch him on Jonathan God. Ross. Well, I'm glad he did this and I bet his publicist is really glad he did this Maybe too. this is all like tied into publicity for his next action film film set in you know surbiton whatever um, another story that i won't go into because i'll just waffle on about it for ages is um i'm obsessed with a tweet that documents the story it's on my twitter account of a boy who pretended to be in geordie Shaw. oh my god to, you are obsessed to get into a club in manchester and fooled everyone and there's a story in the metro about it and his account is selective and it's very funny so Everyone should go and read that. And he's yeah, he's still tweeting from it, which yeah. Dolly's really enjoying. And superimposing to- his face onto Geordie Shore. do Shore. I'm a bit obsessed with Monday's Women's Hour episode. There's an amazingly kind of informed and well put together discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of hosted by Jane Garvey on female representation in parliament and it's a really meaty conversation about the snap election and how it will affect the women in parliament there is everyone go lead it go lead it do that lead but also everyone go listen to it it's monday's podcast um it's very it's the, informative yeah i really learnt lots the conservative mp maria miller who chairs the parliament women and equalities committee. It's Labour MP Rachel Reeves, Lib Dem MP Sarah Olney, Angela Crawley MP and SNP Shadow Spokesperson on Equalities, UKIP Deputy Chair Suzanne Evans. Who comes off Awfully. Sarah Childs, Professor of Politics and Gender. And it's all about opportunity versus tokenism. Um, shortlist, all female shortlist, And Maria Miller says, we need to encourage more women to come forward for election. Once they get there, they do very well indeed. So it's interesting, actually. It's less, it's less that they're being kind of blockaded from getting into Parliament. She says it's actually hard to get them to come to the platform in the first place. She said, my concern is the deterrent effect of the terrible murder of Joe Cox. Lib Dem MP Sarah Olney, who's a relatively new MP, said, Joe was a real motivator. I just felt like I didn't want to live in this society, I wanted to do something, I wanted to stand up, but I fully understand that for other people they would feel inhibited as a result. And Jane Garvey points out, you know, if we are to believe that the polls are in any way accurate then Labour is going to lose a number of seats, which will mean factually they will lose a lot of female seats. Yeah, because Labour is so good at making sure women... So seats held in percentages, not numbers, because as she points out, everyone's got a different amount of seats so you have to look at the percentage of that. So Labour have over 40% women, Conservative 20%, SNP 36%, Lib Dems 11%. Um, Honestly, I found this chat so useful, and we'll put the link on Mm. Twitter to the Women's Hour politics. Um, All I can say is, shitty job, Lib Dems, on your uh, 11%. But also, well done Labour on their shortlist. It, it It proves that it works in terms of getting women into Parliament. As ever, we are overrunning, so time for some quick questions. Dolly kicks off. Hello, Pandolly. So, my first boyfriend and man I lost my virginity to, cringe, is now a homeless drug addict. How do I know this? I've seen him begging for money outside bars I've met friends for drinks at today. Am I a bad person to hate him? I lost my virginity to him 12 years ago. I've worked hard. I'm now married to the best man. Why do I feel sad and angry? Is it okay to be sad and angry? Help. Isn't it interesting when you grow up? all those people you think are so cool when you're a teenager saying where everyone is now um i can understand why you feel sad and angry actually i have there's someone that i can think of that i wasted a lot of time over as a teenager in my early 20s who really turned out to be a waste of space and i don't mean like professionally and i feel sad that i was so in his thrall and angry that i wasted time on someone that wasn't worth it but I don't think that him being a homeless drug addict is necessarily... I have to say, I think this is quite an awful email. <laughs> I'm um, not, I'm not... I don't it's difficult because think... we don't know the story, isn't uh, it? No, I, I don't think you're a bad person at all, but I think, you know... If you're sad, are you sad and angry because it's happened to him? Or are you sad and angry you wasted time on him? Um, I think, have a think... About why you're feeling those things. I think, show, I think, don't be judgmental because you don't, for someone to be homeless and a drug addict means that they've probably had a very, very difficult and hard time. And, you know, well done you for being married and being really happy, but you should show compassion to this man. And I think you should feel nothing but compassion and generosity of spirit and time to him Look, no one's I expecting think. you because you lost your virginity to him to suddenly try and become the um savior in his life no. or even to strike up a relationship with him once again and you can feel embarrassed for him that this is the state of affairs of his life because it, it you know, there is an element of projected shame, I think, when you see someone That's fall. what I think it is. And that's, you know, I understand where you're coming from. but I also, and maybe you' you feel kind of racked with guilt as well. but don't let that turn into like judgment or malice. and unless it would you think it would really mortify him as well, I would go and talk to him and see if he's okay. That's what I would do. Time for one other question, Molly's question. We'll try and dedicate more time to the questions yeah, next. Yeah, sorry, week, we always run out because we always get some really interesting ones, and we only ever end up reading half. So this is from Molly. Dear the High Low, um, I listened to your podcast, trekking through various fields in Yorkshire to get to my sixth form. Oh God, this sounds amazing. I want to be trekking through various. I know, I love that, but I don't want to be going to study for my politics A level. So anyway, <laughs> um, so I want to know if you had any tips on dealing with professional or academic rejection. I'm 17. I've been rejected from my two favourite universities. I've invested so much emotional energy into those two options. It's knocked me sideways. I've had a massive crisis of confidence. Is it possible to stop professional failure from impacting on your sense of self? Please teach me the ways. Oh, Molly, this is such a trip down memory lane. Dolly, what are your thoughts? I really feel for you, Molly, because one of the greatest heartbreaks of my life was Bristol rejecting me. And I still think about it all the time. (laughs) I wanted to get on the drama course at Bristol so much. And uh, it really knocked my confidence. And you have every right to sit with that feeling. Don't let anyone belittle it. It's an important big moment in your life. And I understand how that could be very disappointing. All I would say is, it's not really a popular view, but I'm sure Pandora and I share it. The university you go to and the course that you do doesn't really determine how successful you're going to be at all. So you have, I'm sure, a very, very successful career ahead of you. I just just had this really weird moment where I rewound right back to feeling 18 and I was looking at you just talking in a studio and I thought, oh my God, I'm making a podcast with another writer that people who don't have to know and love me listen to so there you go honestly things can happen that you never thought would happen beyond your wildest dreams beyond your wildest dreams and also just keep working hard and I had that exact thing did you yeah I only got into two out of six universities that I applied for even though I got um, and I'm not showing off this is purely for illustrative measures (laughs) I never got lower than an A in any single exam you know I got mainly A stars at GCSEs the rest were A's I got straight A's and four A levels you know I on paper was great but I was also So, you know, I wanted to study English and there is... As many would argue, a positive weighting that privately educated white chicks wanting to study English language aren't perhaps the two a penny. Unfortunately, the most vital, yeah. There's a t- there's a ton of us. Um, so I didn't get into I didn't get into Edinburgh where I really wanted to go, and I didn't get into Bristol. I only got into Leeds and Newcastle. I went to Leeds, which actually had a very good English literature and language course. I think it was and like number seven. And you on made UCAS. some great friends there, and you had a fab studied time. Studied my ass off. My real heartbreak actually wasn't getting wasn't not getting into those universities. It was getting I was half a mark off a first. And I will never, ever get over that because my husband got a first and did no fucking work. Oh, and I was well half the mile you, off no but I didn't get one, so no, I can't say but, I did. But that's um that's I mean I was miles and miles away from a first. Work really hard. And do you know what I think helped me much more is writing for my student paper. Exactly. Um was starting a blog the moment I got out of university and it was shit and no one read it, but you know, it really helped me to become where I am now. And interning every holiday. Everywhere possible. I studied for places I would never have gone back to work for, partly because they really wouldn't want me. Christie's Magazine, you know, listing historical artifacts, The Week, writing their obituaries. In order to be a contender for an obituary in The Week, you just had to, your death had to be mentioned in four different tomes. That meant you'd made it. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. So, you know, just work really, really hard. I know that's a really boring thing to say, but I truly believe in the power of getting involved. I Um, completely agree. And also, don't forget that predominantly, what university is for is experience is life experience so I, I had to learn how to literally exist alongside men having been incarcerated oh, in female yeah. only institutions from the age of 4 to 18 and I literally fetishized men like they were another race and I let them behave however they goddamn damn wanted because I'd only ever been educated alongside women so seriously it was worth it for that alone you're going to go have some wonderful awakening brilliant experiences and make some wonderful friends wherever you go so don't let your confidence be knocked <laughs> Next week, we will apportion more time to your questions. Yes, thank you sorry. very much. And we love all of them. We and do love all of them. Whether we agree with them or disagree with them, we always find them Keep interesting. Keep tweeting so us at you. The Hilo Show. Email us, show at gmail.com. Please do subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us. And uh, I've got nothing further to say, so goodbye. Goodbye. only from rustolium